Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard News. I'm Freddie Sayers. On the 26th of September last year, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that delivers natural gas from Russia to Europe was sabotaged. Despite months of investigations with deep sea diving expeditions and sonar detection, there is still no official answer as to who was responsible. There are theories that Russia was behind the attack, or perhaps the US, but nobody knew for sure. And then last week, an article by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Seymour Hirsch, entitled How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline, was published and everyone paid attention to it. Suddenly, what seemed before to be a conspiracy theory may or may not have a little bit more credibility behind it. Uh, his evidence was based on an anonymous source with, quote, direct knowledge of operational planning. Uh, and he went into extraordinary detail, including military details, how many divers were used, dates, times, and all the rest of it, which certainly gave a different atmosphere to the theory that in fact it was the United States covert operation that blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Well, one very public figure who way back when, even just a week after the explosions happened, was going on television saying that he thought it was the US, is world-renowned economist Jeffrey Sachs. Um, he is a public policy professor from Columbia University who, among many other positions, has served as special advisor to the UN Secretary General. I'm happy to say he joins us now down the line from Dubai to work out what we now should believe. Welcome, Jeffrey. Good to be with you. Thank you very much. So I guess I'll just start with the obvious question. Why so soon after this happened, the sabotage, were you so convinced that it was the US that was responsible? <laughs> Frankly, it's been obvious from the start. This was not an easy operation to carry out. It's the kind of operation that uh, the CIA uh, and other uh, covert parts of the US government do carry out rather routinely, by the way. Uh, they blow up lots of infrastructure uh, over time. Uh, try to keep it uh, hidden. But it was hard to keep this one hidden because the United States was basically the only country with the motive, the means, and rather remarkably having announced beforehand that the intention was to end Nord Stream if Russia invaded 
Ukraine. So uh, this was uh, pre-announced quite vividly. Uh, then, of course, there was uh, lots of circumstantial evidence, but there was very little doubt then. Uh, Seymour Hersh, uh, as has been true throughout his career, has added some important details by getting some insiders to talk to him about this. But frankly, it was not hard to figure this out from the very start. Add to the fact that the former foreign minister of Poland tweeted right at the beginning, thank you, USA, with a picture of uh, the bubbles uh, arising from uh, the bottom of uh, the ocean. Well, it, it, uh, the only way not to know this was to read the mainstream media. Uh, other than that, uh, it was pretty obvious. Okay, let's try to kind of go through a bit of the chronology, if we could. And I'm going to sort of ask questions and try and push back, and, and you tell me why I'm wrong. Because I confess that a lot of the other view, I suppose, is that even though there is all this circumstantial evidence, and even though a reputable journalist has now come out saying they have a source, although that single source is unnamed, it's still perhaps stretches the imagination for some people that the US would actually order the destruction of a piece of public infrastructure that is in part owned by its NATO ally and current ally in their current military operation, Germany. So I guess that's the... Well, that, then they don't really know the US. Uh, if you follow the US for the last five decades, uh, actually six decades from Vietnam onward, you know a lot about this, uh, that um, this is what happens when you have uh, a secret uh, intelligence uh, uh, unit, the CIA, which carries out covert operations. That's their job. Uh, presidents give orders. They do all sorts of things. They make coups. Uh, they create civil unrest. Uh, they uh, create, quote, revolutions. They blow up infrastructure. It's, it's part of the job. Uh, and it's actually quite well known. What is interesting, though, is Seymour Hersh used to work for the New York Times. Uh, and once upon a time, the New York Times would report on this stuff. Uh, in my youth, which is a long time ago, admittedly, the New York Times revealed the secrets of the U.S. government. It published the Pentagon Papers. Now the New York Times is a mouthpiece of the government. It didn't even report Seymour Hersh's account. This is how far we've come, uh, because now... The name of the game is if you don't report it, it didn't happen. It's not true. Uh, so we're, we're in a kind of uh, fantasy world right now. Uh, it's a little bit like The Wizard of Oz for those people who know that movie uh, from 1939. I think it is when uh, Toto pulls the curtain away from the wizard and you see it's not really a wizard. It's some old guy speaking into a microphone. Uh, he tries to pull the curtain back as if nothing has happened and he keeps speaking. That's the US government these days. Let's go through the chronology and try to just describe the world as you see it and, and how we got to this point. So in other words, what would need to happen for the United States government to actually do that? So we've got these two pipelines that connect Europe to Russia. The first one, Nord Stream 1, went live in 2011. It was a project engineered by Angela Merkel alongside the Putin government basically to transport natural gas ease more easily to Europe. The idea was greater energy security. This was part of what now looks like quite a credulous policy in retrospect by the Germans. Nord Stream 2 is the second one of those. Oh, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with okay. that, by the way. 
Okay, let's... nothing credulous about buying natural gas from Russia. Uh, all that's credulous is the United States says, don't do that. Well, nothing's wrong with trade. Uh, it's just that the United States uh, and the mainstream media in Britain and the U.S. say, no, 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 that's dependence. We once used to call it trade. It's all the way you look at it. And the United States was rapidly opposed to this from the beginning because the U.S. had other designs. The main U.S. design was enlarging the U.S. military alliance. By the way, contrary to promises that were given to Gorbachev in 1990, but so be it. The idea was enlarge the U.S. military alliance first into Central Europe, then into Eastern Europe, and then after 2008 to Ukraine and to Georgia. That was the U.S. plan. Nord Stream uh, was a complication because it meant that Germany and Russia were not on unfriendly terms, but the United States was on unfriendly terms. It was trying to corner uh, Russia, and um, that's, that's the difference of perception. So I don't accept the fact that anything was wrong with Nord Stream from the get-go. Okay, but your, your theory then is that the, the US's objection to it is mainly about NATO and, and military objectives rather than just simply wanting to sell more natural gas to Europe, which some other people talk about in this context. I think that's right. I don't. I mean, of course, there are always hangers on who want to make money out of any policy. But I think that this is really a geostrategic objective rather than a marketing objective. Right. OK, so fast forward a bit then to 2021 uh, throughout this. Well, don't go so fast. Don't go so fast because there's 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 one there's one. Uh, well, you missed in. February 2014, the U.S. helped overthrow the government of Ukraine. That's, that's really a crucial moment in this story. Victoria Nuland, who was then Assistant Secretary of State, uh, obviously was involved in a covert operation, not so covert because some of it, so much of it is self-evident, but uh, in a covert operation to push Yanukovych from power as part of the U.S. strategy to move NATO eastward because Yanukovych was in a balancing act. He was trying to keep Ukraine neutral. That's a no-no from the U.S. point of view. So the U.S. gave him a, a big nudge in February 2014, and the war with Russia broke out in February 2014. We're in the ninth year of this war now. And it started with a, a U.S.-supported insurrection uh, and then it became, of course, deeply militarized. And uh, immediately the United States was on Russia's case. You see, we told you, we told you about the pipeline. You must not trade. We told you. And so all these pipeline issues after 2014 loomed very large in the U.S. Uh, imagination. And they were determined, these neocons who have been in power in the United States for decades now, were determined to end the pipeline. They thought they could pressure Germany into ending the pipeline. They thought they could, and every U.S. ambassador has been very public and explicit about this. Uh, but the Germans said, but we like inexpensive gas. It's good for our industry. It's good for our economy. It's called trade. I think a perfectly rational and plausible position, <coughs> unless you're a neocon. Uh, and now we can come up to 2021. Okay. I mean, I guess even a, someone who isn't a neocon can see that overly relying on uh, a country like Russia, which has uh, leadership that might turn hostile or might not, 
might not be a very good strategy anyway. So whatever your particular politics, there's a, I think there's a, there's a common sense objection to being overly reliant on a single source for your energy security. Is, is that fair? Yeah, not, not so much, except if you're planning to make an enemy uh, of this counterpart. So we now consider trade uh, completely militarized in general. I, I acknowledge, I think the whole view of trade has changed among these US neocons. Now it's all called dependency uh, and uh, you can't even trade with China anymore. That's dependency. So yes, if, you're, if you view the world uh, in a zero sum struggle for who's on top, then yes, this looked like a wrong idea. If you view the world as Russia's trying to sell something, uh, Germany's trying to have a competitive international economy, then no, I don't buy it. Okay, so by the summer of 2021, there's a, a big summit. The leaders of the US and Germany put out a joint statement. I think we can put it on the screen here. He says, Germany will take action at the national level and press for effective measures at the European level, including sanctions, to limit Russian export capabilities to Europe in the energy sector, including gas, and in other economically relevant sectors. This commitment is designed to ensure that Russia will not misuse any pipeline, including Nord Stream 2, to achieve aggressive political ends by using energy as a weapon. So by 2021 at least, so before the Russian invasion in Ukraine, Germany is sounding more hesitant about the Nord Stream 2. It seems like the American influence has, has paid off and they are starting to be a bit wary about it. Is that fair? It is, uh, and it's uh, interesting and important to remember. In 2014, uh, the group that overthrew Yanukovych, uh, the point person was Victoria Nuland. She was Assistant Secretary of State. Her contact when she's caught on the phone in that uh, intercept by Russia that was uh, famously released on February 7th, uh, 2014, she's talking with Jake Sullivan, who is the security advisor to the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden. So you have Biden, Sullivan, and Newland. Who's in power in 2021? Biden is now president. Jake Sullivan is still his security advisor, but now the national security advisor. And Victoria Newland is no longer assistant secretary of state. Now she's under secretary of state. Same team. This has been a long-term project. And they're out absolutely for NATO enlargement three times in 2021, the United States commits again to moving NATO to Ukraine. And Germany is, of course, uh, a bit caught <coughs> in the middle of all of this under the typical US pressure, but still we don't yet have this uh, full explosion as it were. But so the Germany is already cooling on this new pipeline by then. Well, Germany's under US pressure, let's just be clear. Uh, and come 2022, when the invasion does happen in Ukraine, Germany pretty much halts all, I, I believe it halts all transport of gas in the first pipeline as well, but refuses to certify the second one. So declares Nord Stream 2, the project, even though it's practically complete, it's built, declares it pretty much finished. Well, look, let, let's, get the, uh, let's get the chronology uh, accurate. At the end of 2021, uh, President Putin puts his diplomatic demands on the table, and they are stop NATO enlargement. For heaven's sake, avoid a war, stop NATO enlargement. 
for heaven's sake, implement the Minsk II agreements. For heaven's sake, don't start a, a war over Crimea. That's not going back. Okay, those are his three uh, main demands vis-a-vis Ukraine. Absolutely negotiable. If you don't agree with all of them, by the way, I certainly agree with no NATO enlargement. I think the whole thing was a completely mad scheme that George W. Bush Jr. pushed on everybody in 2008, leading to our current massive debacle right now. But in any event, the U.S. refused to negotiate at all. So that's really important to understand. Then uh, Chancellor Schultz comes to Washington on February 7th, 2022, and he holds a press conference together with Biden. And you know what they talked about that day. They talked about the U.S. pressure on the pipeline. So at the press conference uh, with Schultz standing by, Biden's asked, what about the pipeline? And he says very clearly, if Russia invades, the pipeline is over. I actually think we have that clip. We can play it for our viewers so they can have a look. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. What do, what, how, will you, how will you do that exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. So, look, for people who are seeking to disprove uh, the U.S. involvement in this, clearly that is a, a tricky clip to deal with. It's not a tricky clip, as Seymour uh, Hirsch well explains. Biden said what he wasn't supposed to say. Oops, we have our ways. Believe me, we, we will do it. And he, he said, and uh, his aides were, oh my God, there goes uh, our, our president again. He wasn't quite supposed to say it that way, but he did say it that way very clearly. So, so you think it was a gaffe? You, you don't think it was meant as a threat? You think he just spoke out of time? I don't think it was a, a very, uh, well, uh, timed or well-designed statement. It, it certainly was out of turn from the point of view of uh, of his advisors. I, I quite know that. But I have to say, by the way, even on, uh, I think it's around January 27th, I don't recall the date precisely, Victoria Newland had made pretty much the same statement. And hardliners in the U.S. Senate, like uh, Senator Cruz, were pushing them very hard. What about this? What about this? And so the administration's also basically trying to say, don't worry, we got it, we got it. We, we understand, we're not, gonna be, we're not gonna be outrighted by the right wing on this, we got this. That's what you're hearing there. So, okay, this is the bit where I have to ask the, the central question, which is, why? I mean, it's, it's possible to establish the case in terms of why it's in America's strategic interest for the pipeline not to be active. But by this stage, Germany has already failed to give it authorization. They're not using the pipeline. Schultz is standing right next to him. What's the requirement to actually go through this elaborate and politically highly risky operation to actually blow it up when Germany has already stopped it? it it's, not, it's not being used. And besides, it's actually a partially German-owned 
piece of infrastructure. This is owned 51% by Gazprom, the Russian company, but 49% by a consortium of European energy companies. Why do they need to blow it up? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> the whole thing is madcap. The whole thing is arrogance. They think they can get away with it. Why not? Let's put it to an end once and for all. Maybe German industry is going to demand that it gets started again. Who knows? But it's always interesting to try to think like the CIA or to try to think like uh, the U.S. covert operations. I have to tell you, there are dozens of these operations. So you have to ask, you have to, and I, by the way, and I ask that question each time because they rarely work out. And this one's not going to work out too well either. This is now understood. More and more people are coming to understand what this is all about. And it's a little nuts. And by the way, if you uh, look at Seymour Hersh's account, it was heavily contested inside the administration, which I believe to be true. Uh, we just happen to have ideologues uh, that uh, believe in this stuff. And most of, most of what these covert operations do they overthrow governments, they make coups, they do all sorts of things. The question you're asking is exactly right. And you could ask that on 50 occasions uh, in, uh, in the last few decades of major actions that you say, oh my God, why did they do that? But just to be clear though, um, Professor, then we're not, we're not talking about the CIA going rogue and doing something that the president wasn't aware of. I mean, I think we, we, we understand the chain of command is still intact and that if this operation was going to be greenlit, the president would have had to been in the situation room, giving the green light and saying, yes, blow it up. That, that's what would have had to happen. So the, the situation we're required to believe is that the United States president is there directly giving the order to blow up a German Pipeline, the pipeline partially owned by their NATO allies that they're currently in a military engagement with. That, that is uh, exactly right. The CIA very rarely, I, I actually don't know of any significant cases of the CIA going rogue. I know of lots and lots of cases of presidents giving orders and the presidents say things like, well, then that person should be eliminated. And the CIA understands that means assassinated. Maybe the president doesn't say that, but uh, he says it in a way that is perfectly understood. The CIA doesn't go rogue. The CIA is a covert organization to manage presidential directives, U.S. foreign policy led by the executive branch. So, no, this is not at all a rogue operation in, in the least. Following then the timeline, if we return to the account as Seymour Hersh describes it, there is then a whole series of decisions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Made about how this operation would be best undertaken. And the decision is to involve the Norwegians in some way and, and mount a very complex James Bond-style operation involving sinking explosives and then uh, using a, a, a separate de detonation device at a different date to kind of distract people and make sure they couldn't put two and two together. It's a very risky, it's a very elaborate scheme that, that you believe took place. Well, let, let me uh, say a couple of things. First, uh, some kind of elaborate scheme happened. This is not uh, hypothetical. These pipelines were blown up. Second, these are big, thick, heavy pipelines buried underneath the water. This required very uh, extensive and difficult engineering to blow up these pipes. This was not some simple operation. And nobody disputes any of that. So yes, uh, your question is, is, is right. Of course, somebody engineered uh, a highly complex operation and evaded most detection, not entirely, but evaded most detection. Uh, and uh, that's not easy to do in, in waters that are heavily surveyed by U.S. military, by satellites, and by others, because this is right at, in, in Bornholm, Denmark, after all. This is uh, not uh, in uh, the, the open ocean. And so, yes, this was a, a very uh, difficult operation, and uh, divers had to have uh, special equipment, enormous skills, massive explosives, heavy equipment, so we can limit it to, you know, two or three countries at, at the maximum official government. And then the question is which? The one that claimed they were going to do it, the one that had the motive, the one that's hated this all along, or some other crazy idea. But yes, you're absolutely right. This was a, a major operation. I want, to come, I want to come to what some of those alternative crazy ideas might be in just a moment. I, I don't think you're saying that it didn't happen or, well, you know, anyone could have done that. No, of course it's a complex operation. That's the whole point. How much credibility do you give that Seymour Hirsch article? Um, I know that, uh, just for viewers who don't know, this is a very distinguished investigative journalist. 
who was involved in exposing you know, war crimes in Vietnam back in 1968, has a long career. He is 85 years old. Um, the source on which the account was based was a single source that is not named. Um, and a lot of the effect of it, I would say, having read it a couple of times, a lot of the apparent authority it has comes from details about particular names of ships, particular locations that give the, the whole piece a feeling of uh, credence. But I wouldn't say there's a smoking gun. There is no actual proof there. Uh, do you think that's fair? Or, or what, what was your response to his piece? Well, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't know if he got right every detail, uh, and um, we'll find out. But uh, the U.S. isn't talking, that's for sure. You think the U.S. is just sitting there and saying, God, someone blew this up and we have no idea. That's how they act right now. Gee, it wasn't us. They don't even point the finger at Russia, by the way, because it's so preposterous. And interestingly, the Washington Post, which is almost a an in-house journal of the intelligence community of the United States, ran an article a few weeks ago that said, nope, wasn't Russia. Very interesting, because actually, I think some intelligence community, people didn't want to start World War III over a rampant falsehood. And so it's important. I was quite surprised by the Washington Post article, but it talked about 23 intelligence agencies, all of them saying there's no evidence whatsoever that Russia did this, which, by the way, stands to reason for many other reasons. But you can rule that one out and you can understand that we've been signaled by the intelligence community rather strongly, actually, that it wasn't Russia. So, OK, it wasn't Russia. Well, was it the United let's, States? Let's not completely close the door on that. I think. No. You know, we, well, we wanna... I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm. I'm going to close the door because it's phony. Because we've been told it's not true. Because there was no motive. There was no means. It's baloney. But well, hold on. And let, by the way, the, and, 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 just... and the and and the and the intelligence community has told us so. So please, people, please go to the Washington Post and read. A very interesting article. In the interest of keeping our skepticism open, um, is it not at least plausible, even if you think it's a small chance, that at a time of war such as this, in a regime that is complex and we know is made up of very powerful oligarchs in competition with each other, uh, kind of mafia-style interests, it's not always a direct chain of command, it is plausible that somewhere within the Russian orbit, this was carried out for some kind of means or for some objective that we don't fully understand. In a busy and complicated time like this, when lots of counterintuitive things are happening, it's not beyond the scope of possibility. What do you want me to say? I think it's ridiculous. Okay, why won't you at least concede that it is possible, even though you don't find it persuasive? I, I think when you're trying to reason about what happens, that kind of magical thinking isn't really the most helpful thinking. If you have some evidence, that would be interesting. There is no evidence. If you have the intelligence agencies of the West saying there's no evidence, now that's evidence that it wasn't Russia. Okay, scenario number two. What about uh, some organization connected to the Ukrainian government that wanted to fast forward Western opposition to Russia, essentially frame the Russians for having blown up the pipeline and 
get increased Western support. It's been talked about as a theory. Is it plausible? It's absurd. Ukraine doesn't have the capacity to do it. Ukraine would never do it without the U.S. approval. Uh, so there's absolutely no way that some rogue Ukrainian operation is responsible for this. It's absurd. Can you think of any other potential explanations that we should at least consider before dismissing them? I've been trying for a long time. I don't see any other explanations, and I didn't from, from the start. When one country announces that they're going to do it, when they have the incentives to do it, when they have the means to do it, um, and uh, when it happens, and what we didn't talk about, by the way, was how they championed this. So suppose that this was something the U.S. didn't do, and that this was an act of high piracy in open waters, a massive attack on international infrastructure of a close ally. Do you think the U.S. Secretary of State would call it, and I quote, a tremendous opportunity? Do you think that the U.S. Undersecretary of State would testify in Congress? Senator Cruz, uh, the administration is delighted that Nord Stream is a hunk of metal on the sea floor. Is that how you would talk about an act of international terrorism that affects the key infrastructure of a close ally? That we're delighted that Nord Stream 2 is a hunk of metal? These people are so arrogant and they have people asking naive questions. I'm not saying you, you're, you're trying to understand this. I'm talking about in our mainstream media, they think they can get away with anything. They can even get away with chortling about how delighted they are about this. If this were an act of international terrorism that the United States didn't know and to this day couldn't figure out, my God, they'd be working hard on that and we'd be hearing all about it and we'd have Senate committees and House committees investigating this because this is a major breach of international security and we have cables on the ocean floor that are at risk and who did this and we demand to know and of course it's nothing like this just the opposite it's delight it's a great opportunity we like it being a, a twisted metal on the, on the ocean bottom we promised we would do it come on what we need is the united states government to tell us what happened now and Let's have the U.S. government come up and say, oh, yeah, terrible disaster, and we have no idea. Or why don't we ask Sweden? Very interesting case. Sweden sent its divers down. And you know what Sweden said at the end of its, quote, investigation? Well, this is so sensitive national security. We're not going to tell our public. We're not going to tell the Swedish parliament. We're not going to tell the Germans. We're not going to tell Denmark, what did they find? You think they're hiding that Russia did it? I'm sorry to tell you they're not hiding that Russia did it. What they did was clean up the crime scene. Now, come on, let's be clear. What, what is Sweden hiding from us? We'd, we'd like to know because we're democracies. We want to know. If we zoom out for a moment, the, the world that you're describing just in its fundamentals, is a, a, a concerning one, to put it mildly, 
Because first of all, American power, far from being purely uh, kind of cleverly strategic and muscular, as I suspect most people think it is, is actually a bit cack-handed, clumsy. Um, if you're right that they carried this out, you've got to believe that the Americans are almost sort of getting sloppy because it was, a, as you say, an unnecessary thing to do. It's now in the process of being discovered or, you know, a lot of people are starting to believe that they're responsible for it. It, it shows a, a power that is not really being very cleverly deployed. How, how clever do you think the fake information was that led us to the Iraq war? Not very clever. I sat there the day that Colin Powell gave his evidence to the UN, shaking my head. Are you kidding? This is a joke. And it was not a joke. It was a tragedy. How clever is that to invade Iraq? Boy, they're really on top of the game. How clever was it to send the CIA to overthrow Bashar al-Assad? How clever was it to send NATO to overthrow Muammar Gaddafi? And boy, that set in place a, a long uh, stability in Libya. Of course, I'm being ironic. How clever was the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan? And we're, boy, we're at the top of the game. That was clever how we left Afghanistan last year after 20 years in great shape. Per capita income under $400 per capita, a country destroyed. You know, no, it's clever is not the word that jumps to mind. So for you, this is nothing new. This is just, a, in your view, a continuation of historic behavior. Well, look, we've had debacle after debacle. Uh, I go back a long time to Vietnam, to Cambodia, to Laos, to Nicaragua, to Iraq 1, to Afghanistan, to Iraq 2, to Syria, to Libya, to uh, countless coups, by the way, that I haven't mentioned. I think if the U.S. tried diplomacy, we would actually get somewhere because the U.S. has uh, all sorts of interesting things to say and, and could help to be constructive through diplomacy. But these covert operations, which are very well known uh, and have been written about in full libraries uh, about uh, all of the debacles, no, it's not a great idea. And the fact that they're secret, so-called, although we tend to find out everything about them, means that they're never held to account. The last time we really had hearings about all of this was the Church Commission uh, in the Senate in 1977, <coughs> when there was then uh, a kind of uh, public scrutiny of uh, decades of mayhem uh, that uh, these secret operations had caused. Since then, not so much. So no, I don't, I don't think that this is out of the ordinary. It's not the full story of, uh, uh, of U.S. foreign policy, but uh, boy, it, there's, there's a lot of blunders, that's for sure. And the other aspect that I think would be shocking to people, um, and possibly to many people still means that this is beyond plausibility, is the sheer number of people who would need to be in on it. I mean, you mentioned there that even the Swedes, according to your account, pretty much suppressed the findings of their investigation. I mean, I'm half Swedish. I know a lot of Swedish people. There's, there's no shortage of skepticism about American power in a country like Sweden. And if you think whether it's 20 or 30 Swedish officials would need to be in on some cover-up, to me, I'm thinking in this age of smartphones and leaks and 
uh, everything coming out, it, it begins to stretch possibility that there hasn't been any leaks and that, you know, well, there, ha there so, have been so many hundreds. Well, Seymour. we have we have a one. There, there have been, and see, and and Seymour Hirsch reported in it in a, in a very uh, lovely way, uh, explaining uh, exactly what happened. But I would say, look, why don't you ask uh, Swedish government officials what are you hiding? You did the investigation, and you said it was so sensitive you couldn't even share it with Germany. Come on, it's it's on the face absurd what's happening right now. But it's true, you know, people are under confidentiality. People go to jail for leaking information. Thank God I don't know any uh, of uh, any of this confidential stuff uh, and uh, because I don't want to. Uh, I can watch with my own eyes and understand what's going on. But inside, yeah, it's, uh, of course, many people know a lot, but nobody talks. It's true. And what doesn't help is that, like the New York Times coverage of the Seymour Hirsch story, the coverage, zero, not even a mention, not even a sentence. So what kind of society do we have right now when we don't even ask questions? Mr. President, give us an account. Does the United States know nothing about who did this? Nothing? Really? Well, isn't that a little shocking that we have some terrorists running around and you know nothing? Have you investigated? You know, we don't even ask those questions. Where are reporters these days asking people in authority the questions that we need to know so that we don't end up in complete disaster? Are you angry with America? I believe that the foreign policy that we're pursuing now is endangering first Ukraine and second, the whole world. So I believe we need a different foreign policy. I've explained that in a book in 2019 called A New Foreign Policy, uh, moving beyond American exceptionalism. And this is what we need to do. We need to have a foreign policy that doesn't engage in rogue operations, in covert operations, but actually engages in diplomacy. Do you worry? I mean, because of course, what happens when we have conversations like this is that people will accuse you of being somehow pro-Putin or you know a, a, not a patriot. Um, that's the discourse, and and I wonder how do you respond to that? And do you ever worry that in your kind of righteous indignation against? foreign policy missteps, you do occasionally go too far. It, it, well, it's not righteous indignation. It is worry. It's worry that uh, we're in a, in a world with uh, 1,600 deployed nuclear weapons in the United States and Russia, and there's a hot war going on between the two countries. So yeah, I'm worried. Uh, and I want to see this war end. And I want to see diplomacy take over. And uh, nothing we talked about, by the way, had anything to do with, uh, I didn't say anything about uh, Putin or Putin's apologist or anything like that. You mentioned that. I talked about what the U.S. view was of these issues going back many, many years. And I, I think it's a, an incorrect way of looking at the world. I'm extremely concerned about the U.S. policies towards China right now for the same reason. I don't want to see World War III blow up. 
Uh, I know a lot about uh, these events. I wrote a book about the Cuban Missile Crisis and its aftermath and how close we came to complete disaster and how only diplomacy saved us in the end. I want the sides talking with each other, not making covert operations against each other. That's extraordinarily dangerous for all of us. Final question for you, Professor. Is there anyone within the American political scene that gives you optimism in this regard? Because there used to be an anti-war left uh, that doesn't seem to be very much in evidence anymore. At times, there seemed to be a new right coming on, which was also somewhat more skeptical about foreign adventures. That seems to have gone largely quiet. Is there anyone that you feel represents you well within the political scene in America? Well, Seymour Hersh's account explains that there was a lot of internal opposition to this uh, plan of action within the U.S. government. And when it comes to the way that the U.S. is pursuing the Ukraine war right now, there's clearly a very heated debate going on in Washington. And no less than the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the U.S., our top general, General Mark A. Milley, has said it's time for negotiations. So I know that there's a very active debate going on, and I hope that foreign policy is uh, not to remain in the hands of neocons and ideologues, uh, but uh, people who understand how dangerous these approaches have been and uh, will turn instead to diplomacy. Jeffrey Sachs, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Professor Jeffrey Sachs, a long-standing critic of US foreign policy, defending his view that it was the CIA that blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. The world that Professor Sachs describes is a dark one, in which American power is deployed cynically and recklessly, less the global mastermind than the playground bully. I suggested to him that at times his account stretched the limits of plausibility, but here at Unheard we like to consider all arguments, so whether you're convinced or not, as ever, is up to you. We'll do our best to carry on finding interesting voices that challenge the consensus and force us to think again. And if you like what we're doing, make sure to become a subscriber or a supporter at www.unheard.com join. The link is being put up there on the top right of the screen. Not only can you enjoy all of our written content, but you can actually come and attend our interviews and events live. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.